0: Well today, I think I want to take a direction, um, and hopefully I'll set Jay up. Pastor Jay is going to be preaching next week, and we'll, uh, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll pick up this. But, but really, I, I want to talk to you today about, about prayer, and specifically the power of your words. Because your words matter. Your words are important. Your words carry weight. Jesus probably understood the power of his words better than anybody. Jesus used his words to actually change physical circumstances and situations that he encountered. And the good news is, it wasn't limited to just Jesus. He gives us the authority to use his name And to declare what he's already paid for into a situation over somebody's life, whatever it might be. So it's important that if we're going to see the power of God manifest in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community, whatever it might be, that we start paying attention to what we say. So I want to open today... I guess with a uh, familiar verse in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I'm sure if we don't have the uh, PowerPoint up, I'm sure everyone would, will know this verse. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat of it, or from it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat thereof. The New Living Translation says, those that love to talk will reap its consequences. I kind of like that. Talking's okay. So, what, what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs, he says that there's two things that come forth when you speak. You can speak death, or you can speak life. Now, just, just in case you're, you're not sure, death is bad. <laughs> life is good. Everybody say that. Death is bad. <laughs> life is good. Okay? You've given authority. That, that's really deep. Now, I know it's going to take a little time for that one to sink in. But just let that, let's let that get in your spirit. See, when you speak... The result can be two things. There's consequences to what you say. And often, you know, we don't think about it, but when we say things, I like the New Living Translation because it doesn't mean that talking is bad. It just means that what you say, there's going to be consequences that, that you will reap based on your words. Good or bad. It can be life consequences or it can be death consequences. There's, in the Bible, there, there's numerous times that we see this connection between our mouth and what other part of our body? Our heart. There's a unique connection all throughout Scripture. I, I like to call it the mouth-heart connection. But the, a familiar verse in Matthew chapter, I think it's 12, it says that out of the abundance of what? Out of the abundance of the heart, what your heart's full of, your mouth speaks. It says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And he goes on in that, uh, a couple verses later, it says that, that you will be accountable for every idle word that you speak. What's an idle word? And why am I accountable for it? Well, an idle word is just a word that's non-productive. It's a non-productive word, it's an idle word. Let me give you an example. We do things like this all the time and we don't really think about it, it's not a big deal, but it is a deal because out of your heart, your mouth speaks, you say what's in the abundance of your heart, but then something, let's call it like a boomerang, what I say then in turn impacts my heart. So out of my heart I speak, but what I speak then impacts my heart. And when I say things that I don't really believe, it actually has a numbing effect on my heart. Let me give you an example. I'm dying to go on vacation. (laughs) I am. Now, I say that, and we say that for emphasis, right? I really want to go on vacation. I need a day off. But I say something that I don't really believe, so... What am I training my heart to do? I'm, I, I'm, I'm speaking something, but in turn, I'm numbing my heart to the power of my words. I'm starving to death. No, you're not. You're hungry. <laughs> you're just hungry. And I guarantee you, I'm somebody that's hungrier than you are. But, and I get it, we say colloquialisms like that, but, but just watch. You're not going to like bring, you know, uh, a, a lightning bolt's not going to hit you, but, but what you're doing, you're training your heart. You're numbing your heart. And when I say things that I actually believe, and I'm confident in, and I, my heart and mouth connect, all of a sudden, instead of numbing my heart, my heart becomes sensitized. My faith increases. I can believe for greater things. But if we keep saying things that we don't really mean and don't really believe, it'll work in the opposite. So I really want you to think about what you say. It's important. We're going to look uh, in a minute, (coughs) if you want to turn to Mark chapter 11, one of my favorite stories. I don't think I've ever actually taught a message from Mark 11, so it'll be the first. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a passage I've gone to quite often personally. And I, th- I think I really like it, especially Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Mark eleven twenty four 24 is the verse that God spoke to me that helped me receive the baptism in the Spirit. And it's so, it's, so it's a very, very personal verse to me. Uh, has, ha- it carries weight in my life. We're not going to go there yet, because I want to first look at, when we talk about the power of our words, I'm a very inquisitive person, Why? how is it that words have power? Why do words have power? Yes? Because we give them power, okay. So, our words, uh, I always like to go back to the beginning, and you're, you're a visitor, right? Isn't that awesome? We had a visitor actually give us an answer. That's good. I appreciate that. That's good. That's good. What's your name again? Hey, David. Our words have power because that's the way God started things. God set it in motion, creation how? I thought I heard somebody say smoking. Oh, thank God. Well, I think I'll, I'll create the sun today. No, it wasn't smoking. Ears open in Jesus' name. It was spoken. I like that though. You know, something's wrong with me. I know. Let's go, I, I, I want to start with, uh, let's go back, two slides. I don't want to start here yet. Keep going back, right there. Something's really wrong with me, I know that. <laughs> Melissa, thanks for speaking the obvious over my life. It says, it, this is from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, of course, this is the faith chapter. It starts out, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 3 says, now, by faith we understand. So a key thing here is a lot of times we want to understand before we believe. But right in the first phrase of this verse, we read over a lot of times, it says, by faith we understand. So that understanding is given through faith. A lot of times we're like, well, I want to know how it all works. Well, if you knew how it worked, then there's no faith involved. So there has to be a component of uncertainty or or some unknown in order to operate in the realm of faith. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed or the foundations were laid by what? It's in yellow. By the Word of God. It says, the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen... Trees, grass, animals, anything you can see. Even things that God didn't, this building. Okay, God didn't physically create this building, but this building is made out of things that He created. Alright, so anything you can see. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So, so God didn't, after he, no, he didn't do that. But after God said he was going to create the world, he didn't sit down there and like, oh, let's see. Yeah. You know, like making a hamburger patty, you know? Whew. Stars. Light. No. What does it say? All through Genesis 1, eight times from Genesis 1.3 all the way through Genesis 1.26 when God says, let us make man in our own image. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be a firmament. God said, "There, let there be fish in the sea. All these things God said. And when God made the world, He made everything in it with His words. Now here's why that's important to understand this. Because you may not agree with this statement. That's okay. But the next... I'll put it up on the slide. Next slide. Since everything that we can see was made with words, everything we can see will respond to faith-filled words. Words... If you will. So if it's here in the physical realm, right here, it existed in the spirit realm here before it was there. And God got it from here to there by speaking. He spoke this light, this firmament, this earth, the sea, He spoke it. Words then become the parent force. And since words are what things. Are created of, and it's the parent force, everything will then respond to words. See, God didn't go, God didn't do this. He didn't... He spoke. And He set words in motion. Think of it like this. I don't know much about this, so I'm probably speaking an area I don't know a lot about, but soft. These fig trees produced figs just prior to or at the same time that the leaves appeared. So most trees have leaves and then the fruit appears. These fig trees in, in Israel will produce figs just before or at the same time as the leaves. So it's not fig season. But Jesus sees a leaf leaves on the fig tree, and if he sees leaves, what does he expect to find? Figs. Even though it's not fig season. And when he gets there, and he finds no figs, but he finds leaves, he curses it, and says, no one's ever going to eat from you again. Now why is that okay? Jesus was the one that created the fig tree. Right? Just for... So we know where we're going. How did he create the fig tree? He spoke to it. He's the one that created the figs to appear just before or at the same time as the leaves. When the tree is showing leaves, it should also have figs. Therefore, it's professing to have something that it doesn't possess. It's lying. It's saying, oh, I got leaves, I got leaves. But guess what it didn't have? It didn't have any figs. It wasn't operating the way Jesus created it to operate. It was a pervert. It was a hypocrite. It was a lying tree. I want to call it a lying symptom. You ever dealt with a lying symptom? A symptom is a manifestation of an issue. But if that manifestation doesn't line up with the way God created it to be, it's a lying symptom. And what do we do with lying symptoms? We curse it. We cast it out. We stand against it. We bind it. And how do you do that? With your mouth. You might say, well, I don't believe that. That's all right. It won't work for you. You don't have to believe it. You're entitled to your opinion. I believe it. And guess what? It works. But you don't have to believe it. You can go... (laughs) You can go somewhere else and go to church. (laughs) I want some people that know what God did and can say it. It said, from the moment the word left your mouth, God sent me. One chapter later in Daniel 10, Daniel prays again. Again, God sends the messenger immediately, but it takes three weeks for him to arrive because he hit some interference from the king or the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So when we say something, we believe it happens the moment we say it. God answers immediately. You got to believe that. You got to know that when I say something, when you say something and it lines up with God's word, God's word never fails. Ever. So a lot of times I hear people quote, "Well, God said it, I believe it." That no, that's wrong. That's wrong. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven whether you believe it or not. Your believing it doesn't settle it. It's already settled. And if you can find it in Scripture, then you can speak it in Jesus' name. God will always honor His Word. It says, In the morning they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, remembering, said to Him, Rabbi, look! You know, this actually reveals Peter's unbelief. He was shocked that this actually happened. See, anybody can believe when they see it. That's not faith. Well, it's faith, but I want to call it it's human faith. You know, unbelievers even have faith. You know what I just did? I just put faith in this speaker. It's going to hold me up. That's not God's faith. Anybody can believe after it happens. He says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed, it's withered away. Now, I don't think Jesus had on his Abba Father monotone when he said, Have faith in God. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, I like to imagine what the inflection was. Peter's probably like, Oh my gosh, that fig tree, it's withered. Now, you know what? Don't throw no shade at Peter. Because you probably do the same thing. I mean, if I just said, hey, die in Jesus' name, and a day later it came by and it was dead, you'd, you'd probably do the same thing. So, so, so don't, don't look down on him. But Jesus, I'm, I'm sure he's like, Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? When I said it, it happened. Even though you didn't see it, have faith in God. Now, some translations or some people like to say that this says, God kind of faith. I think most scholars and most translators don't agree with that, but I just want to make a side note. Is, all faith that operates in the kingdom is God-like faith. And here's why. You can't even get saved without the faith of God. If you can't get saved without the faith of God... How are you going to believe for healing, deliverance, and everything else without the faith of God? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that, speaking of faith, and that, not of yourselves, so if it wasn't from yourself, where was it? It is a gift of God. Obviously, grace is a gift because that's what it means. But he's even saying that the faith that you responded to God with, even that was a gift. Apostle Paul goes on to say, he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I can't even live life without God's faith. It's not my faith, it's His faith. Like, well, I don't know if I have enough faith to believe that. That's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says that God has dwelt, no, strike that. God dealt to each one the measure of faith. It's a measuring scoop. It's the Greek word metron, a unit of measurement. He's dealt to each one. So what happens is a lot of times we think that, well, I've got to go to Pastor Jay to have him pray for me, or I've got to go to to Autumn Kiefer to have her pray for me. Because they have a greater faith than I do. Look at the next slide. One born-again believer doesn't have more faith than another. Some just do a better job of appropriating what they have. See, what happens when we start to think that so-and-so has more faith than I do, so therefore I need to go to them, I begin to put my faith in them instead of in God. Jesus said, have faith in God. Next slide. I'm not even to the message yet, but we'll wrap it up. Anybody learn anything yet? All right. Verse 23. Now, if you notice, I highlighted says how many times? Three. How many times does it believe in this verse? So a lot of times we talk about faith, and faith is a a component, but Jesus mentions saying three times to the one time he mentions believe in this verse. He says, For assuredly, that's actually the word amen or of a truth. I say to you, whoever. Whoever. Well, I got to go to the pastor. I got to go to the prophet. I got to go to the guest speaker. Whoever. Put your hand up if you're a whoever. If you can fog a mirror, you're a whoever. Yeah? Put a mirror under your nose, and if fog appears, you're a whoever. Except in Florida. Well, if the mirror's cold, that'll work in Florida too. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whoever says to this mountain doesn't doubt in his heart. Now that word doubt, do you remember last week when we talked about communion? And it said that you have to discern the body of Jesus. Discern means to make a distinction or to separate. In that verse, you have to discern or make a distinction between the body and the blood. The the cup and the bread. This is the same word. It's a Greek word diakrino. And it means to doubt. And this, this is the negative use of it. It means to have two opinions. Well, will he or won't he? Will he or won't he? Will God do it or won't God do it? Can I be confident in what his word says or can I? Am I going to look like an idiot if I say this or not? That's diakrino. He says if you don't doubt... But believe. See, the problem's not the faith, I think, as much as the doubt. He says, I say to you, whoever says this mountain. So we don't know if Jesus is talking about uh, the Mount of Olives or one of the mountains that that Jerusalem was built on, but that mountain represents any high obstacle in your life. Anything. And think about it if you could say it to a mountain, you can say it to a pimple. I've done it. I get lots of practice at that one too. Or if you can say it to a mountain, you can say it to a headache. You can say it to back pain. You can say it to to having gotten terminated from your job. Any obstacle in your life can be spoken to. See, my, my dad, and I asked for permission to use this, my dad went through cancer, and he had a lot of, uh, two years ago, he's completely healed now, but he, he's had ancillary pain, different pains. And, and, and sometimes when that pain comes, he'll say, he lays his hand right on his knee or on his neck, and he'll say, pain, in the name of Jesus, leave. And guess what? It leaves, but sometimes it comes back. Now, just because it came back doesn't mean that it didn't work. So if it comes back, what do you do? Say it again. Play it again, Sam. Pain, in the name of Jesus, leave. See, it's no different. You think about when Jesus was in the... If you look in uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the uh, wilderness being tempted of the devil. And at the end of the temptation, it says that the devil left him until a more opportune time came up, which meant that he's coming back. So just because you command something and it changes, but if it comes back, do it again. It doesn't mean it didn't work, it just meant that he's still active. Let's go to the last slide. Get wrapped up. No, not that slide. Go back one, sorry. Let's go to verse 24. So often when we think of prayer, you know, a lot of times we think of prayer as making petition, making requests of God. And it is. But actually, Jesus calls prayer in this passage making authoritative declarations he says when you speak to that issue you're actually praying see a lot of us have we don't have we have no problem going to God and talking to God about all our problems anybody good at that if you're good at that stop it Because Jesus doesn't tell us to go to God and talk to God about our problems. He tells us to speak to our problems. See, he's given us the authority to take care of it. It's kind of like this. So in our business, now if you're here and if you work for me and don't know this, I apologize if you don't know this. I'll just let me preface that. So each employee has a minimum. Oh, matter of fact, if you're a customer, just pretend you didn't hear this. <laughs> so each employee has a minimum of $100 to take care of a customer problem. At a minimum, no matter what job they do. Now, as your responsibility goes higher, you might have you have a greater level of authority. But everybody that works for me has a minimum of $100. So if a customer has a problem, I've authorized every employee To take care of it. If somebody has a problem that's a $25 problem, and an employee comes to me and says, Hey boss, we got a problem, can you fix it? What am I gonna say? I've already taken care of it on my end, I've made provision for you. You just need to use what you've been given. And I'm probably going to kick them in the pants and say, have faith in God. It's the same thing. We go to God, Oh God, will you heal me? Oh God, will you heal me? And what's God saying? I've already done it. I've already released all the power to heal every disease 2,000 years ago. I've done it. You just got to believe it and appropriate what I've done. Quit talking to me about your problem. Talk to your problem. Tell it to go in the name of Jesus. He says, "I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them." So I highlight that whole phrase. And let's just let's go to the next slide because so I want you to see the tense of this real quick. <coughs> Three of these are in the present tense, one the future tense. It says, when you pray, present tense, so that's what? Now, let's say now, believe, present tense, when's that? Now, that you will receive, that you receive, present tense, now, and then you will have, future tense. He says, when you pray, Believe that you will receive. Believing takes place when we receive it or when we pray? When we pray. See, it doesn't take any faith. You know, Peter believed. Look at the fig tree. It, it died. That takes no faith. He says, I want you to believe when you pray. Now, you can believe when you pray because it's already settled in heaven. Jesus has already taken care of it. He's given you authority to speak on in His name into a situation. Things have to respond to you because they're made from words. Next slide. we fail to believe until we see something, then that's not faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. If you can see it, it takes no faith. So God-like faith, God-like faith not only believes in what it can't see, it speaks what it can't see. So you you have to see, you have to believe what you can't see, but you've also got to say what you can't see. Let's just close with this verse. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Next slide. God's kind of faith not only believes in the things that cannot be seen, but it calls them as if it did. Let's go to that last slide. One more slide. Not the last slide, the next slide. It says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. So this is about Abraham. And this is about Abraham when God changed his name in Genesis chapter 17. See, before he was Abraham, he was Abram. Abram meant uh, high or exalted father. Abraham, that God changed his name to when he was 99 years old, means father of a multitude. God calls him father of a multitude when he still hadn't had the son that he was promised yet. And he says, in the presence of him who believe, God who gives life to the dead and calls the things which do not exist as though they did. The things that do not exist in the physical realm as though they did. We release spirit realm, into the physical realm with words. So I was meditating on this verse a few weeks ago, and I had a picture in my mind, God put there, of a a glass. Let's pretend that's a glass for a minute. It's an Acadia glass. And the glass was... It was halfway full of water. And God asked me, He said... How do I see that glass, half full or half empty? Let me ask you guys. How many see this bottle half full? Don't be afraid. It's okay. Your opinion. Let me see your hands. How many half full? All right. How many half empty? Got some, uh, you negative people, you can get on out of here. So God said again, he said, how do I see that glass? I was like, I don't know, God, why don't you tell me? Obviously, it's not half full or half empty. He said, I see that glass overflowing. Because I don't call, see, you could say it's half full or you could say it's half empty. Both of those are visible. God said, I call the thing that be not as though it were. And I call that glass overflowing, regardless of what you can see. And I've had that picture in my mind the last four weeks. That when God looks into a situation, He sees life. He sees abundance. He sees fruitfulness. He doesn't see halfway there or half gone, He sees overflow. And that's what He calls it. Here's what I want to do today. Last slide. This is really the last slide. I want to practice. Right? Jesus says, whoever, how many whoever's do we have? Say, that's me. me. All right, so let's stand up. I want you to start praying with confidence. I want you to know that when you speak, into a situation, you've been authorized to do it. And believe it, that God said it, and that settles it. So let's say this, when I say say to this mountain, mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and and do do not doubt in my heart, but believe that those things I say will be done, I will, I, I will have whatever I say. Whatever things I ask when I pray, I, ask when I, pray. I believe that I receive them, I and I will, them. I will have them. Everybody say amen. 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 Do you believe that? Yes. yes. That's called personalizing Scripture. I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to quote that. I'm going to say that. Until it gets so much in me that it's part of me. And when I confront something, I can say, Be gone in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Be reconciled in Jesus' name. Because that's that's what He's told us to do. We are His ambassadors. We speak on His behalf. All right, let's pray.